0: 11FS, I'm David Breer and this is Fintech Insider News. On today's show, the FCA opens up the gates for Cohort 3 and reveals Cohort 2 from their sandbox. Being the Uber of banking may no longer be what you aspire to. And what the hell is Zelle? All this and more coming up on Fintech Insider News. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Fintech Insider News, coming to you this week from the 11FS office at our wonderful home in WeWork London. I'm David Breer, and back pretty much from the dead after a couple of weeks out with what turned out to be pneumonia, which, if anybody's in any doubt, pretty much sucks. Just saying. I'm sure nobody'd optional sort of into that one to do it, but yeah, not fun, I can tell you. Today, we are a little bit on the thin side of the regulars, so we've got some of the irregulars with us this week. You'll have to welcome my 11FS colleague, Aidan Davies. Say hey, Aidan. How's it going? Hello. Well, I'm certainly not thin. (laughs) And joining us this week, we have our favourite neighbour, Sarah Dwarf Kachansky. The only (laughs) way I ever really remember how to do that. Thank you very much for joining us from Business Insider. How's it going? sarah
1: it's good yeah it feels like
0: it's ages since i've been here a-, years. a whole two days it is yeah and joining you we have liz girl interrupted lumley uh, girl of Disrupted. all round. i oh. don't
2: have schizophrenia but i am often mistaken for winona rider really? all the time
0: <laughs> i would never interrupt you i have to say i'm far too scared for doing that but um welcome back guys thanks for joining us thanks for having us Before we get into that, we have a bit of an announcement, which you may have seen out there in the sort of various different social uh, media lands, Uh, and I'm super-duper excited about this one, that we're going to be doing Fintech Insider Live over in Money 2020 Copenhagen. So if you're a bit of a fan of what we're doing, uh, or you just want to hang out with the guys, or let's be honest with you, if you just want to get your hands on some lovely, lovely Fintech Insider swag, then please come along to that and check us out. It's going to be really good fun. Anyways, it's been a pretty big week, so let's get on with the news. First up, we have a pretty interesting one here from the FCA. So, Aidan, we've got the Financial Conduct Authority provides an update on the Sandbox. What's going on here?
3: Yeah, press release just gone live on this. Yes, the Financial Conduct Authority, the regulators in the UK, have announced the second cohort of their Sandbox companies. Uh, the Sandbox is a innovative playground for businesses to test uh, new products and services in a, in a live environment without... Uh, as much regulatory oversight as maybe the, the rest of the market has to deal with. Uh, yeah, and they've also announced they're opening the application process for Cohort 3, which if you want to apply to a Sandbox company, uh, get in there before the 31st of July. Uh, just coming back to the 24 companies that have been announced then, uh, one that stood out for me was the Experian are in there. Small, nimble startup yeah. that they are. Uh, <laughs> they're testing a, a mortgage eligibility tool. So uh, when customers are looking to buy a house, you can uh, basically say, okay, well, can I borrow against this house with my mortgage the lender's terms, which sounds really interesting. Uh, another one that caught my eye, which I
0: think you may know, Liz, is uh, Insurer
3: Thing. Yep, Startup um, Bootcamp
2: tech alumni. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. In fact, there was actually quite a lot of insuretech companies in this cohort, wasn't there? Which is, again, there was like a lot of blockchain-y stuff a blockchain stuff um, happening. But yeah, the insuretech stuff is definitely kind of rising there. It was interesting, actually, The um, so Paul Worthington from the FCA sent us a couple of stats about the cohort application. And they had 77 applications in for the 24 slots that they actually kicked off. So, you know, they're being pretty tight on who they're letting in and, you know, why, I guess. Well, it,
2: so, you have to keep in mind, these are all going to be consumer-facing startups, um, which is, you know, a fraction of the fintech universe. I find it interesting. I'm trying to – they did not publish who got in the first cohort originally, Um, And one of the reasons why is the first iteration of this FinTech, uh, of the regulatory sandbox, they had a bit of an issue with because many of the startups in the cohort um, needed to find a bank partner to test with. And it was up to them to go find a bank partner. And many of the banks, you know, kind of looked and said, why would we volunteer to show you know the regulator what we're doing what's in it for us um and i think rightly they didn't sort of publish originally who was in the original cohort because if these startups couldn't find a bank to test with then they couldn't be in the sandbox and that kind of would look make them look bad when it wasn't really even their fault yeah um so yeah so it's interesting that they are publishing who's in it this year um uh, so maybe they sort of uh fixed the parameters of how you could test the product. Um, I just wanted to pick up on what Aiden said about Experian. I mean, I think this is obvious that an a, a established player would use this to test something, that I think this is inevitable, that someone like Experian would probably use this.
1: Well, I mean, when they, when they did finally release who had gone through that first cohort, or like eight of the 24 that they did finally announce, HSBC was one of those as well. So it kind of, the, 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 what was interesting to me is that Experian was the only big name I recognized in here there are some great names outside of that just like nuggets is my personal favorite just (laughs) in terms of you know whilst we're on on naming conventions but I think the other interesting thing from my perspective was the number of advice type uh you know on on different elements of of financial services but obviously that plays so well into what the fca is trying to do with getting more advice out there it's a logical a logical step um I guess also the fact that it's bigger it was 24 last time it's 31 this time how many more will we get? They've also opened up applications for cohort three. So it's obviously working or something's working, whatever it is, the FCA is pleased with it.
0: It's interesting that there is no, because last time, like you say, we had HSBC and we had Lloyd's in there as well, sure. didn't we, with a, a sort of future branch thing. It's interesting that we don't have any banks in there this time. You know, maybe there's something in here that's being maybe fueled by a bank in some, some guises, I guess. But um, yeah, interesting absence, potentially.
3: It'd be interesting to hear from the banks what they got out of it. Not the not usually the most open of companies talking <coughs> no. about that, but yeah, what did they learn from testing an environment that they can't do?
2: Yeah, in well, their that was it. The, the banks that I spoke to that chose not to be part of this said we can just do this ourselves. You know, why do we, why are we going to go into the, the FCA regulatory sandbox when we can do this in house?
0: Well, I I won't say which one, but it's one out of two, so you can kind of (laughs) flip a coin and guess. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of the the argument for this particular bank, nearly said the name again, I'm going to be really careful, um, was that basically it was a permission to really push the internal parties to, you know, think and act differently. So, you know, whereas a lot of the the sort of internal resistance to the types of change that they were looking to do would have kind of almost got in the way of the, the sort of movement, then, you know, this allowed them the, you know, internal permissions to uh, really sort of go out there and push the boundaries. But super interesting. Really looking forward to seeing what comes next on this one. And uh, given that the applications for uh, Cohort 3 are open, then uh, get your applications together, ladies and gentlemen. Moving on, uh, we have a story on Reuters. This is Amazon lent $1 billion. There's uh, definitely kind of a Dr. Evil vibe to that one. I thought um, that's where you were going. To merchants to boost sales. I, you know, I thought about it and pulled out. I'm going to be honest. but um, But yeah, this is a really interesting one. That is no sort of uh, small amount of money, Sarah. what's uh, what's going on here?
1: So, I mean, Amazon's lending business has just sort of gone strength to strength here. They they did $1.5 billion in total between 2011 and 2015. And then they've done over a billion in the last 12 months. So, I mean, I, I can't do the maths in my head, but I'm impressed. They're not the only players who are working in this space. So PayPal has PayPal working credit, which is the same idea. So the point is that Amazon really only lends to businesses that sell through its platform. So it's already pre-approved them. So it's not. It's not a. You know. It's, it's not out there for everybody. Um, it does show that that there is an appetite for it. It does show Amazon is pushing its financial services chops. I mean, the other thing that Amazon did this week was launch this um, Amazon Prime Rewards program. So in the US, you can have an Amazon account. You might be able to over here, but I know the rewards program isn't over here. That you basically load money into it. It's like it's like a pre-prepaid kind of. Box holding box, and if you put money in from your debit card or directly from your bank account, you now get rewards. So they're trying to hold money. They've got credit cards, and their lending business is is going is 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 doing incredibly well.
0: As, um, as our resident sort of Amazon addict, then like that, <laughs> like all of that is like tingles quite
1: frankly. I need, I
0: need some of that in my life. When I saw that story, I, I immediately thought about.
3: Obviously, that's in the US, isn't it? That, yeah, that, and it's I think it's like two percent off as well. So it's, yeah, it's cashback.
1: It's cash. It's
3: almost free. That thing that I want is now almost free. I, yeah. And It just made me think of like when PSD two comes into effect. Of like, well, you could keep your Visa and your Mastercard, uh, you know, on record with us, but. We'll give you 2% off if you just link us directly to your bank account. It just, it feels like, like Sarah was saying, they are starting yeah. to make moves. Y- I mean, I, yummy,
0: yummy data. Yes, please. I've
1: got, to be, I've got to be careful what I said, because last week I said that I didn't think that they were going to take off in the same way as um, Tencent and Alipay have. I, th- I still kind of think that they won't take off in the same way the Chinese giants have, but... Certainly not in that they're going to suddenly become my only financial services provider. Do you think that they should give some of those small authentic players pause for thought? You know, certainly in the alt lending space, if you're if you're kind of up against, um, you know, a company that you've not really heard of before, and you know they're kind of digital, but you don't know much about them, or Amazon says we'll give you a loan, I don't think there's much of a, a choice there for a lot of these small businesses. So. Um, I'm very interested in what they do and I'm very interested in where it happens because at the moment this is in the US. That's their home territory they can play. They can see how it works, how it doesn't work. We'll have a think about it. Oh, well, we'll we'll take that one back. It didn't work. I want to know where they go next and I want to see how... I want to see some more numbers. So this is good. uh, I mean, more.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I thought about... The obvious one was Cabbage and eBay. So, mm. you know, they did the same in the US. Santander brought Cabbage over to the UK. But when yeah. I was looking for this story, they're, they're no longer accepting loans, which I didn't realize. So what's the happened there
1: is that Cabbage is white-labeled. So it's ah, still doing, um, so hiring, it's actually it pivoted covers. quite substantially. It's, getting, it's got a huge new hub coming in Ireland. Um, and they're really focusing on white-labeling their platform to yeah. European banks. So they're still doing it, but you'll get a loan from like Santander... It'll just be a Santander. Okay, like. How by,
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on this one, and definitely sign me up for those Amazon Prime rewards. So, uh, moving on, we have quite well. Oh, Quite a bizarre one this one I'll be honest with you. So over on Finextra we've got a what looks like a press release really but FI served to acquire Monetize for 70 million. Not quite a billion as the last one so it doesn't sound quite as impressive does it? But uh, Liz what's going on here?
2: Yeah, this is the the sad demise of of Monetize which was at one time considered to be the fintech darling of the industry founded by Alistair Lukies it was valued at 2 billion at one time. Wow. Um. Yeah, there are there. Are, I I can speak about this because I never worked for them. So you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll, um, just, I'll just step back from the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um.
2: Yeah, seventy million. It's it's sad. This is this is the demise of a fintech darling. I mean, I heard rumors that it was offered to Mysis. Uh They've recently been renamed after they merged with D and H to FinAstra. No relation con- to Finextra. No connection. <laughs> They book your videos now for Cybos. Um, but yeah, so I'm not sure what FiServe is going to do with it. I mean Visa dropped monetized like a lead brick when they walked away from it. So um, this is just a sad story. But you know what, this is this happens. This is this is I've a got a bit close. of a soft spot
3: for monetizing that. Yeah. You know, they they were the first ones to bring mobile apps banking yeah, to, to the they UK. Were, they, were they, the they, they did a smart yeah. thing. They looked at the state of all the internet banking platforms and thought, we'll never be able to plug into those. Have we got anything that's consistent? Oh, yes, the ATM network. A really smart idea to plug into the ATM, which was this decades-old infrastructure that had standards. And then they built an app on top of it, and NatWest were the first, I think, in the UK. And I know that um, at the time, HPC followed slowly after. Mm-hmm. And if my colleague John's... He was like, he holds on to this monetized app that no longer works, but he loves, he loves it. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, they did a great thing, but they flew too high and burnt by yeah. the sun. I
1: think from my perspective, I, I did work there for, you know, three years. Um, I think it's a cautionary tale, probably. I think that's actually, there are lessons to be learned here. And I think that they're aware that there are lessons to be learned here. And I think, you know, um, it could have been a lot worse. Power. <clears throat> Yes. So, um, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> if, if this was a later
3: story, we'd had more beer. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it. That's all I'm going to say for now.
0: It's, it's an interesting one, though, like, you know, a startup now selling for 70 million pounds, people would be like, well done, you guys. But no. it's just like back to the it was worth two billion at one point. So they, they've got 400 employees as well. Right. So 400 employees generating...
3: That was about sixty-seven, wasn't it? Yeah, so there?
0: sixty-seven a, a year. You know, that's that's not a great deal that they're actually generating for a software company per employee, is it?
1: Well, that's across the, the board as well. So they have offices in in Istanbul. They have people in San Francisco. They have, I believe, they still have, although I could be wrong here, the Create arm, which is kind of the digital design uh, innovation agency arm. Um, so it. It is across a, a broad spectrum as well. It's not just their core business, which it, which was the the, the fin kit product.
0: Yeah, for for Fiserv, I guess this gives them a, you know, a bit of a broader appeal. Right, they're not just sort of sitting at the the base of the stack now. I'm just now, wondering actually. what
2: they'll do with it, though. I mean.
0: But I wonder if it's actually taking the products and services that they have and being able to, you know, really sort of customize them, you know, rather than using the, the monetized technology. If they use the design house that they've got and, you know, go to their customers who want to see something rather than just, you know, mm. so something that sits people. in the back office, then yeah. it, it might be sensible to move, right?
1: They've got partnerships as well. So they've been working quite hard to partner up with a load of... So the, the product that they've been working on most recently is kind of like a PSD2 platform, really, to, so enables a bank to plug in to monetize one and then have access to APIs from um, a load of different fintechs to provide end services. So it's kind of an adapter, if you like. And so they do have... A lot of relationships with fintechs, um, a lot of whom are over at level 39. So, you know, again, there's that if Fiserv is looking to, like, see where, what other services might be out there and what it can provide. Um. Well,
0: well, I'm playing some catch up on, you know, people like temenos who have got a marketplace for integration of fintech. If that's their angle, then, you know, 70 million pounds from from Fiserv's perspective actually might make sense. Right. But um, yeah. Yeah. Good news for whoever owns a lot of that £70 million that's hitting somebody's bank account. Bad news that it wasn't £2 billion. So So um, good news, bad news, guys. Uh, moving on, we have a story in the New York Times. This is Cash Faces a New Challenger from Zelly. What's Zelly? What the hell is well, Zelly, Aiden?
3: actually, Zell, as in Gazelle. Uh, thankfully, the, thankfully that, the New York, that York Times... doesn't work at all, then. I'm the, sorry. The New York Times uh, clears that up for us, thankfully. But, um, yeah, it's very exciting if you live in the US. It might seem a bit old world to us but yeah it's basically the banks have come together after six years and they finally launched their peer-to-peer payment application for the banks uh 30 banks have come together to build this beautiful
0: only took them infrastructure, six years, only six wow. years
3: <laughs> and, uh, and, and so yeah it, what they're now going to embed it inside their app so very similar to payem in this
0: country I was gonna say, didn't that happen in like 2010 here <laughs> And don't they have Venmo to st- well, stop yes. them needing to have so, this?
3: So so so. Let me just kind of finish. But yeah, they. Um, it's different because it allows you to send money with a phone number and an email address, which PayM mm-hmm. doesn't allow. So that's okay. one big advantage. Yeah. The other big advantage is uh, it says it's instant. So in the US, moving money is slow as anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas and and it's and Venmo is apparently can take up to a day as well. So this is what they're hoping will be there. Their USP. What is also interesting is that they are launching it now uh, inside all the banking applications, which is the same as PayM. But they are later in the year launching a standalone Zelle app, which is interesting. Which is something that PayM never did in this country. Because I, 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 I think we've talked about PayM many times, not favourably. It doesn't seem to have done much. It's kind of hidden away in banks' apps. I'm not sure of the usage of it. So this will be interesting to see if. Uh, in a if you market talk to like the U.S. banks,
2: it's the most revolutionary payments <laughs> that I've ever created in the but, history of the U.K. But,
3: you know, Venmo's—you know, 300 million people in the U.S. versus whatever Venmo's user numbers are—it um, could be a transformational change. I mean, again, we don't—we don't live in the U.S., but it, yeah. it might feel old hat. But, but the, it's, from the
1: so from the the U.S. perspective, from from you know my colleagues who are using these services all the time, the the colleagues who are. Um, working at, you know, Business Insider, um, who all have Venmo, are kind of like, meh. But the point is, it's got a bank brand on it. And we know that the older generations are now using bank apps and online banking, even though they're not using the apps. So there's the potential there for a huge untapped older market. And as you say, in the UK, my mum will still very happily log on to online banking, transfer me some money, and it'll be in my account in two minutes. So she doesn't, she doesn't need another service. But if you are in America and you are trying to send money to your kids, or I don't know, all that kind of like all those kind of like instant transactions we take for granted, they tr- they trust their bank. They know how to log on to their their banking online portal. They don't have to think about another app or a smartphone. And you know, I I can see I can see it appealing there, especially if it's instant, as Aiden says, which is like the huge thing that I still can't get my head around that the Americans still take three days for a payment to go through. Um, the other thing is here as well. That it's like 86 million mobile banking customers like that instantly have access to this. Like, that's big. You don't need all of them to be using it, right, for that to work. I I guess,
0: you know, while I was on my deathbed last week listening to you (laughs) guys talk about Apple peer-to-peer payments, like, I guess in the context of of that one, like, I sort of feel like my mum would more likely use iMessage than use a separate app to do a payments Thing.
2: No, I could so, I could see my mother being. My mother uses online banking, but I would I could see her very much being happy that it, it was branded with her bank yeah. on it.
1: And even if it's not, a, and the point is it's not a separate app as well? So you don't need a separate app, right? So if you if you already if you've got if you've got your parents to the stage where they're using yeah. online banking or an app, then let's not like there are some people out there. Let's yeah. not add another one to I that. I think that's
3: that's worth mentioning that. Um, they they've got a consistent ui as well across the banks okay so banks that already kind of offered this feature so i think it mentions wells fargo in the story they've actually uh redesigned their in-app experience of paying somebody so it's similar so it, you, okay. you've got this consistency across the industry and i think that's that's a very smart move um but yeah you've you've uh, the, the banks in the uk kind of just let launched PayM, and then if you try and find anything about PayM on their websites today it's it's just it's just it's buried it's not Whereas I think they they need to really make a a song and dance about this. Yeah.
1: But I mean, they do have a USP, which is the instant payments. Like That's literally it. Yeah, I there was, mean, there's, there's, a great,
3: there's a great quote here from um, Gareth Gaston of US Bank. People told us they really liked the reassurance of knowing the money was gone immediately as opposed to waiting for a check to clear. It was an interesting
0: surprise.
3: And... Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> to which everybody British in this room just put their head in their hand.
0: It <laughs> is a very low bar, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and uh, continuing the American theme into the next story, we have something on biz Journal. So this is... Bank of America launches new high-tech financial centers around the U.S. Liz, how high-tech are these centers?
2: I'm, I'm the American here. Um, yeah,
0: on it, behalf of your um, brethren, I've, then... Uh,
2: I've got two conflicting opinions about this story. Uh, these super ATMs, immersion, non-people. It was extreme ATMs. And, and extreme it was, ATMs. Oh, this is amazing. Um, when I first read it, I thought, why... Why, why do you need to have a sort of pared-down, people branch, super ATM experience? However, I think back to all the bullshit I talk about, um, and <laughs> I really believe that this idea of being mobile has nothing to do with the device that you're holding in your hand. And it, it's about you being – So I think that this is kind of a little first iteration of being able to get your bank or whatever services you want – where you are mobile. So, you know, you probably, uh, branches are getting smaller. Um, you can walk into these super ATM immersion experiences and and uh, speak to someone on a TV uh, about complicated uh, financial products like, um, you know, applying for a mortgage, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so I think my first sneery opinion on this was why. And now I'm thinking, hmm... I, I, I kind of like it now.
1: Yeah. Well, we, to go back to something we've talked about, I talked about on this podcast before, what I was sneery about, uh, I think it was Bank of Ohio doing a drive through ATM, if I remember correctly. I remember drive-through. They're all over America. Yeah.
2: But um, I have to get out of my car to get to it. <laughs> if, you're, if you're an average woman, I <laughs> Yes.
1: But... I think this is kind of taking it to the next stage. And the thing that's interesting to me about this is, so in the UK, we've got branches closing left, right and centre, and that's leaving a whole load of older, vulnerable people with access to banking services. Now, this could be a hell of a lot smaller, right? It doesn't need to be a huge branch. It could be a quarter of the size. So the rental space for that on a high street is going to be less. You can give all the services that you, you need in there. You can do ATMs, you can do check deposits, you can do... And if you need to speak to somebody over a a video Mm -hmm. call to talk about a mortgage, you can. And I kind of think I quite like the idea that, okay, Lloyds or whoever closes 150 branches and opens 150 of these, they'll make those cost savings. And all those people who live somewhere where there's no signal or elderly people who, you know, buses in remote areas of this country cost you seven one one way. So those people who want to go and do their banking, who don't have a pension to spend, if you can put something like this in not every village, but in enough villages. I actually quite like the idea of kind of a, there's a, there's a community service thing there. It'll do wonders for the bank's brands if they can bring some branches back to some of those small towns. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time in South Wales, as my family are. And, you know, there are, there are completely branchless towns from one to the next and the next to the next. As I said, to get between those towns, it's seven pounds on a bus. You've got people in there who don't have a lot of money, who don't have Wi-Fi, because if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have Wi-Fi in your house. So I, I like the kind of, I think there's an opportunity there. I'm just hoping
2: that they have some sort of uh, security person in there so it doesn't get, you know, peppered with...
1: There is that.
0: We don't have those youths in there, (laughs) (laughs) those
3: those silly youths. I I don't know. You're also going to have to have an engineer working there pretty much all the time. I don't know. (coughs) One of the things that made me think about was, like, interactive um, displays in museums that are always broken. kids museums where they go in and you just think once you walk in there there's no human being it mentions a digital Mm. greeter they are phenomenally bad experiences at the moment so if you walk in there and all of a sudden you've got this broken robotic voice and you don't know what anything is and you just end up just using the atm i think it is a it's gonna be an interesting on boarding launching
2: just a few of them right yes yeah so they could see what happens
0: so i having having done a couple of branch strategy pieces of work for for clients in the past the hardest thing you get trying to convince them is that the branch that they have as in the four walls and the building that they have is not the future of the branch you know a branch strategy is not about sort of new Wood floors and sort of painting the walls a bit different and sort of putting in some fancy touch screens. But sure, actually, I've
3: seen lots of strategies just lot, that just haven't known lot, about it. Lots of them have. Not from <laughs> us. I'm just
0: going to point out. But but I, so that's why I kind of think this is actually quite a positive thing because like the branch is breaking out of the branch. You know, people still need those services, but they need them packaged in a different way that's accessible to them that isn't in a massive marble building and, a you know, with the old vault doing nothing in the background and just taking up cost and space. So, you know, I completely agree with you guys. It's like the services are still relevant, but actually how you deliver them to people is very much changing, right?
1: Well, surely there's a halfway house as well. Surely you take your average bank branch, you divide it in half, you put a mortgage advisor and somebody who can help little old ladies with touch screens at the back and maybe a security guard. And that's three staff. Or you know, and then you have an engineer who try, I, surely there's a way of doing that. Like if you think, but but no. I, I think in a
0: in a world where you know one of your top things is a. You know, a, a bank CEO is to be sort of dramatically reducing your operating cost, getting rid of all of that incredibly expensive property. If you can actually get out the leases, is like a map, like master stroke in sort of cutting your costs. Then pick a, you know, if you can do drive-throughs, you can be like on the ring road. You don't have to be in the on the high street, do you? So, um, I think the, you know, the dynamic of what the operating cost is can really, really change.
1: Maybe park and rides. Just had a thought, sort a business idea like Ooh. bank branches at park and rides.
0: Nice. That is some low-cost uh, sort of real estate. <laughs> Right there, you guys so. ever do
2: the thing where you you put the you put all your checks in a like a vacuum seal and you stick it in the tube? Oh.
0: Genius!
3: I remember that. <laughs> like, we talking about Elon Musk's now? Yeah. So when, so a when now, you pay, pay, so when you given a check,
2: I'm just thinking at like work, a national
3: infrastructure. Of you you, you, sending you fill out the little form,
2: <laughs> you drive up in your car, you get the plastic tube, you put your paycheck and the form in the tube, you close it, and it goes. I
1: remember this being in awesome. in, in in stores where they used in to put the twenty pound notes in the back. Um, can I just can I just pick up one other thing here that we're talking about fancy ATMs? We were looking there's a and, and a piece in The Guardian about different types of like fancy smart ATMs with selfies and fingerprints and whatever. But there was one that I thought was really interesting, which is called a recirculating ATM. So if you are a small business, one of the biggest problems you have is that some poor normally waitress or kitchen porter or you know, uh, shop server has at the end of the day to plod to the bank with lots and lots of money in their pockets to deposit it before the end of the day or before the day starts. I've been that person. Um, this enables you to take the notes and the coins. We're talking small business here. Take the notes and coins from a day's take, put them into the ATM, and then they are recirculated as the cash that is given back out of the ATM. Now I know that there's lots of like problems with this but the idea of that you're serving a small business you're giving people access to cash which let's face it they're still going to need at least for the interim and you're saving costs on like restocking and whatever else i think that's quite clever i was quite impressed by that idea
0: so mm, it sounds like it's going to put those uh, sort of uh, extortionate uh, coin exchange things in sainsbury's and whatnot our business then which is uh, probably another little benefit of that one as well Moving on, we have another story in Finextra. This is Monzo may have to freeze some accounts. Boo-hoo. What's going on here, Aidan?
3: You know, the anti-money laundering regulations uh, denote that you need to know who your customers are, which is a, you know... Sounds sensible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I think basically what Monzo have said here is that... um, they've signed up customers who may not have uh, given them enough information that satisfy these regulations. So they need to then get more identity details from their customers. Uh, they've said in a, 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 a what I think is a really good blog post, and I'll explain why now uh, in a bit, but um, 20,000 customers are at risk of having their accounts frozen on the 26th of June um, if they effectively don't uh, give them some extra identity details such as a uh, passport, SNAP, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's good in the way that Monzo have kind of gone about this and been public and open because this is a huge problem for the banking industry where it affects far more than 20,000 customers. But the fact that they're telling customers and it's running out next week or the week after the 26th June is is not so great. Uh, They said that they'll be sending messages out to customers via the app to get them to kind of reauthorize themselves. But yeah, I think it's having had some involvement in identity remediation projects in the past in my previous employer. Huge problem. Monzo have got the benefit that they can re-identify customers through the app, and I've done I've done that process myself. It's a, it's a nice slick process. Whereas the banks are having customers to kind of re-engage with them and some banks yeah, can't even, can't the even approve their identities with their they can't certify their documentation so it's a huge industry-wide problem Monzo speaking about it I thought it was a really clear and concise blog post It, it but it yeah
1: I think, I think the thoughts oh, I mean so I know I know it's not just Monzo that's having this problem I no, know no, 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 I was no. at an event earlier this week and some, and some you know a lot of others whatever what you neobanks or those services were, were saying the problem I wasn't aware the banks had the problem because as far as I understood it so it's do with the fourth the fourth aml directive something european that's been around since 2015 and everybody's only thought oh we need to do something about that now i I wasn't with the banks of problem but it was kind of like the 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 interesting thing is that um, monzo explains this is they have three levels of authentication there's kind of a basic a a not so basic and a woohoo you're good to go the latter two as far as i understand it are pretty much only available to kind of eu citizens with an address and a passport now that's fine for most people. It's just a little bit of extra hassle. You take a picture. But what I'm really interested in is that this is going to affect a lot of those guys who are trying to provide services to uh, refugees, immigrants. Now, their services work on the premise that you don't have to do all this. Their services work on the premise that they do not need a fixed address. They do not need a passport. They do not need a council tax bill or whatever it is. I don't know how they're going to serve all their customers. Because for Monzo, most of Monzo's customers, I imagine, will just go like, oh, this is annoying. But I've got a passport or I've, I've got a proof of address. If you're one of those guys who's serving that market deliberately and specifically because they don't have those things, I don't know what you do. Like, I don't know what the solution is to that. Um, Shutting
0: down accounts, unfortunately, by the looks things.
3: Well, yeah.
1: Uh, that's, Which, yeah,
0: obviously that's Monzo's
3: probably opening terms and conditions is you, you do have to be a UK resident to open their account, whereas somebody like, let's say, Moniz, who that's yeah. their kind of reason for being is trying to get accounts open for people who've got less of an identity. Um,
2: this is, I, um, this is. Uh, you can probably correct me, but um, the average for fraudulent accounts at the traditional banks is 8% of openings. I, so this is your friend of mine, Dave Birch. He, he ran these roundtables a long time ago. Um, and someone was talking at the time about... Um, the new brand new High Street bank on, on the UK first in a hundred years that could open up an account very quickly and the number of percentage of fraudulent accounts in the beginning was way up into double figures um, so yeah so there there is there is that sort of danger if you if your selling point is you can open an account really quickly yeah.
3: for, uh, the, for the just going back to Sarah's point for the big banks, you know, people who've opened accounts like 20 years ago before you needed a passport, probably, me, me you know, minimal proof of address. Have you ever changed your address? Have these I, I, going? I, I couldn't it,
2: open an account. When I moved to this country 20 years ago, I could not open an account at any bank I went into for Love No Money, and I had a full-time job and a paycheck, and our f- financial director in New York had to call up a bank here and threaten to pull the business until they gave me an account.
0: Wow. He liked you. You, you, you were important
2: yeah. to him. She wanted to pay me. She to... I didn't yet. I didn't yet. So I, I,
3: I'm. It, uh, some people are saying, "Oh, Monzo screwed up here. They're going to have to shut accounts." But
2: well, they—they've been honest think they about. It. about it. I don't think well, they yeah. screwed up. No,
1: that's why I like yeah. them. I like. I like that when something goes wrong with Monzo, I'm like, "Oh damn, things not working." Ah, that's why it's not working. Got it right. The only we're thing I would really tell them
3: off for is twenty sixth of June is not a long time. No, uh, you know. That a bit is more fair. notice. Uh,
1: but I, I, I haven't heard from, many, I mean, I haven't heard from anybody it, else. I
3: think I tweeted yeah. exactly that. Is, yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't, think, a, th- I it's don't a, think this reflects
2: badly. It's a them.
3: clear communication. Yeah. You go to, like you say, you, you don't know that any banks have got this problem but they have and they're trying to solve it in various ways, writing letters, getting people to come to branches all, all manner, but they're not going to op- openly say we don't know how uh, we don't know if x million of our customers are actually real or still alive or whatever so it's a, a huge problem across the industry uh monzo, monzo, monzo customers have been public still
2: about alive it. how long <laughs> in yeah, the <laughs> past six weeks
1: <laughs> they've been on the conference schedule they've been on the fintech conference schedule
0: be interesting to see um how many get shut down i guess i'm sure you know in the um sort of sense of transparency like Monzo usually is, they'll they'll probably tell us at some point in terms of how that change comes through. So wait and see what happens there. Uh, on that note, let's go and fill our drinks up and hear from our sponsors.
3: The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT Subscription.
1: Critical Mass,
3: that's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round.
0: Let's be honest, most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. And we're back for the second half. So first up in the FT, we have Deutsche Bank Wealth Arm targets Asia super rich. I don't know why I was going to screw that sentence up, but it really felt like I was going to. So, uh, Aiden, this is a sort of a weird story, right? It is
3: a weird story. So they're hiring 100 client managers around the world to target the super rich in Asia. Uh, they're spending a massive $65 million to build out their digital capabilities, such as portfolio health checks, customized market news, that uh, would reflect new demographics in business, which sounds very, very exciting. Uh, Fabrizio Campelli, global head of wealth management and stater of the obvious said, uh, we have many clients who are asking to interact with us on a less physical basis.
0: Um, <laughs> I've been, I've been
3: told that. Quite a few times. <laughs> so it's, it's not much to the story, but it fascinates me on a couple of levels, you know, obviously we're going to target the rich people because they've got more money. feels like an obvious thing, but it, just doesn't feel like they really know what they're doing or what they're going to build to to target these people?
1: Oh, because Deutsche Bank has never been shown to to not maybe have thought something through before. Um, I think it's... I, I have this... I, I really don't understand it because that's a lot of money and they're talking about digital and why they haven't mentioned the words robo and advisor baffles me because high net wealth individuals will use automated investment services if they save them money. They will. It, 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 you know, you, you look at the likes of you know, I'm not talking about, you know, the betterments and wealth fronts of this world. I'm talking about the vanguards of this world. I'm talking about, you know, the Black Rocks of this world. So, okay, Asia makes sense. Yes. High net wealth individuals. Yes, makes sense. Why are we hiring 100 people? Why aren't we building some kind of automated investment solution here, and then maybe hiring 20 client managers? Because if the investments are being done automatically, and they're building online interaction portals, you only need those sort of client advisors to kind of pat them on the arm and go there They would you like another martini you don't actually need them to be doing all that much and that's the whole point of this technology i'm lost i'm baffled by it to be honest
0: yeah i'm struggling also it does seem like a kind of a an old-fashioned strategy to a sort of a new age problem doesn't it so uh like you say it's probably not the first time that this is uh, this has happened but it'll be you know super interesting i guess to see if the super rich are open to being targets for for a deutsche bank eh?
2: Who knows? I have no comment on this either. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Next up, we have a a, sort
0: of interesting one from the New York Times. I I guess the sort of everybody talked about Uberization for quite a while. And I think that term is probably changing the definition now, isn't it, in terms of what that actually means. But we've got Uber embraces major reforms as Travis, not going to pronounce that second name, steps away. What happens
2: here? So this is um, a wonderful story about my favorite company that takes me home when I'm tired and tipsy, and they've installed a room called the Peace Room and installed mandatory hugs, which will just revolutionize their... No, sorry. (laughs) I will continue. I'm sorry. I shouldn't go off on a tangent. So yeah, so unless you've been living under a rock, um, Uber has had a major upheaval, which has been coming for a very long time. So back in February, Susan Fowler, one of the uh, uh, engineers at Uber wrote a a long blog really outlining a lot of the macho sexist practices uh, that went on at Uber, um, based based on some of their culture pillars, which were always be hustling and, uh, what was it, principled confrontation? Um, And there was a- What does that mean? don't know. So supposedly there was a, a war room that you could frost over And there was uh, so Eric Holder, former Attorney General of the U.S., did a uh, a long report on the company. And now uh, the I think this is the world's most valued private company. uh, Now has no CEO, no CTO, no COO, right at the moment. Um,
3: Some some wag tweeted this week that they are they are now (laughs) the closest they've ever been to a self self-driving company, which is very exactly.
1: funny is, yeah. is it accurate i may have mi- i may have misunderstood something i've read here but is it accurate to say that they're now going to be led by committee isn't there something like 14 advisors no i, well, I, I, I don't know there, there
2: are a lot of lessons with this with this story and some of them i think are not going to be good lessons for the industry and one is you know, one of the recommendations of the Holder Report was that they should monitor the use of non-prescription constr- controlled substances so, sorry, while that, at that work. Again. Non- <laughs> <non-prescri-> <laughs> and so, yeah, basically, people were doing drugs in the office. Really? Uh, yeah. And, wow. and the alcohol, you know, so, and, you know, this is kind of a startup well, we that... We can't
0: judge on the alcohol front. <laughs> I know, I, just I know, that's true, there, but- that's true.
2: Um, <laughs> it's but- up to five. It's but six, there- six o'clock, it's fine. <laughs> but there is this sort of stereotype of the young Silicon Valley startup, very bro culture, very frat boy and they drink um you know and maybe this is the way travis is as a person but the company grew and expanded to such an extent that culture seemed to have permeated you know when you when it's four guys drinking beer and telling bad jokes in a in their war room um and then all of a sudden they're a huge you know 100 i was stunned that they have
3: fourteen thousand employees yeah it's a lot of people
2: so you you've got to you know when when your company grows that immature culture. Also, what I thought interesting this, not the New York Times article, but the Times Magazine article, called 40-year-old Travis rather old for a Silicon Valley CEO and I thought, you bastards. Oh, um, the, the thing that makes me really, really nervous about this story and what happened at Uber is you can pick apart all the salacious gossip and all the, the, you know, the, the, the bad stories, which probably are not unique to just Uber. But then I think a lot of People in Silicon Valley will say, "But look at how successful they were."
1: Yeah, and is, it's
2: because of that culture.
1: I have, I have a fear. This could go one of two ways, right? It could be like they bring in a new CEO, they're like, "We're cutting all of that out. We're going to do it all properly. We're going to play by the rules." Or it could be, "We're going to stop hiring women and people who may be a whistleblowers." You know, or we- put in a fucking peace room. I'm sorry, I really <laughs> that, was that real. because <laughs> no, they so no yeah, they, they so,
2: transform yeah. the name of the war room. They changed to, the it
1: peace to room. a peace room. I mean, I. Is- Bullshit. I haven't. So there's a couple of, like <laughs> I'm going to put it out there that I really st- I stopped using Uber about 18 months ago, or about two years ago because this is not. This has been a long time coming, right? Anybody who's got kind of half an eye on it has has seen this coming, and, and I can't remember. Emil is Emil Michael or M L Michael, who um was the CTO or COO who's just left. Um he. He has done some diabolical things. So he rang up a female journalist who had threatened to expose them and threatened her children over the telephone. He found um, medical records of a woman in India who had been raped by her driver and then threatened to use them against her. Like, I have no time for that. I have no truck for that. And I'm done with that. But there are an awful lot of people out there who will be going, I'm drunk and I'm tired and it will take me home really quick. Um, So... I think it's. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed. <laughs> no, no, but no. But that's my point. Is that you should You shouldn't have to be ashamed. The company shouldn't exist or be allowed to do that that's what makes me angry like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be like a we'll call it the peace room and you can all sit around and meditate no, no but you know what, that
2: makes me mad as well because <laughs> it is, it is. that's so patronizing
1: I just I yeah I mean I I'm, mm. I'm, I I'm. was done with Uber very quickly but I think a lot of consumers won't be they'll yeah. continue to be successful all The consumers. Will I mean at, at, the
2: at, benefits. at the big reveal where Travis is taking a, a leave of absence and his mother uh, did pass away um, which is one of the reasons but he's saying he's taking a leave of absence Adriana Huffington is on the board then asked everyone in the room to hug each other and I just also for a company who's got a problem with like sexist behaviour yes, yes. don't touch me <laughs> don't, don't come me. In, <laughs> in the
3: middle of you know explain the report it look into sexism they did that and then the board member who's mm-hmm. no longer a board member uh, Arianna Huffington um, she said you know once you have one woman on the board then there's a good chance you'll get a second woman on the board and he said something along the lines of once you've got a woman on the board then what you're going to get is a lot more talking and this was in the announcement about sexism, which is just, just
0: amazed. Just one of the great
3: fuck-ups.
1: Um.
0: there isn't, there a video with this particular podcast. Liz has just turned a <laughs> lovely, <laughs> lovely shade of red. Yeah. Uh, There's
3: a
1: lot of hand gestures from one just, side of this table. Right now. Bringing it
3: back to banking, obviously there must be a million shit blog posts about the Uber of banking. But I'm, I'm waiting for, for the,
2: I'm waiting for the one that says, but these guys became a hundred billion dollar company because of this well, type of culture
0: well and, and uh, you have to say not wanting to defend this in any way shape or form and, and you are on the other side of the table so i feel reasonably safe <laughs> at this point
1: there um, are four kinds <laughs> of coke between you like yeah, they do
0: they are quite heavy mm. um but um but the, you know the sales behavior is inherently in most of the organizations that are in that very masculine isn't it it's very much a that kind of a you know everybody's like trying to be number one and like smash it out of the park. And it is that kind of go out and get like crazy pissed and come in in the morning and like sell some crazy stuff type thing. So, you know, I, I can see why that isn't going to go away. But, but
2: it's also not just that. It's because, um, you know, you know, like the the, the the trite statement, you know, we don't employ assholes or we don't invest in assholes. You know, I worked for a company in the, in the 90s in New York where there was a guy in the office that was constantly commenting on all the women's bodies in the office. I mean, I, I put um, uh, toothpicks in his chair one day. I just had enough. He <laughs> that's a, like, it was that's awful. a great idea. And I'm just when, when he finally left, of his own accord, to join another, another to magazine. Go to a hospital <laughs> with <him>. a <laughs> toothpick yeah. in his butt. Um, <laughs> and, and all the other women in the office were like, oh, "Fucking this guy's gone. The editor-in-chief said, I'm really sorry. I couldn't fire him because he was producing such good
1: work. I think the other point is as well, this is not like that exactly what you've just said. This is not, this is not frat Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. culture exclusively. I have been into some large financial establishments in this, in this city where there are people who who do that. There are people who come in in the morning, having not been home, having not changed. And you know, the drinking is one thing, but I, I have been on the other end of comments in some of these establishments. And I'm like, what? How can you? say that and then it's because oh they've been here a long time or you know or on the other hand don't take it so seriously yeah. it's a joke and i'm like if we can have we can have a go at uber for this but we can also look at like there are some there is a culture potentially problem in a lot of big organizations um mm. globally so we we've we, we've ranted quite successfully there yes. but i think we've got our I, points yeah. across quite <laughs> quite. And,
0: I, and i think like i said i don't think that's just an uber problem that's like a no. Generational kind of issue. Although but what it problem- is it's
1: not generational. My point is that it's it, it, historically, or like in those big financial institutions, it's like oh, the it's like the, the Prince Philip. He's old. He doesn't know better. Like it's like your granddad makes a racist comment, but everybody lets your granddad do it because he's old. Prince Philip can do anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, don't, <laughs> right. don't start on Prince okay. Philip. <laughs> All right, I'll back away from Prince Philip. But then, but then, but then the point is that we say that's okay, and then we say, oh, but they don't know any better because they're frat boys. And I'm like, well, that's three different generations of men. So you're just saying it's okay for. Men. I have a, fr- a
2: friend at a bank who went to Consensus, and she said she had her bum pinched and slapped constantly there. And I'm thinking, like, why would any this human year, this, this, year, this year think that was an? Exce- and the, she told more stories as well. Uh, why would anyone think that's that's something that you can do?
0: Bizarre, very, very, <laughs> very, very bizarre, mm-hmm. and very, very sort of alarming behavior. Do we do we think this is the sort of beginning of the end for Uber generally, no. or? Do we feel that, that the sort of storm will be weathered and more frat boys will be appointed? And
1: I don't think until a regulator puts their foot down and says they've got to stop doing, or they do something like true, truly illegal, as opposed to like you know sexual harassment, um, you know that they'll be that it will affect them.
3: I, I unfortunately I don't think the sexism scandal is what's going to bring them down. I think there's a couple of other big things. It's it's like one is one is that uh. is is the Google AI case right. is we're hearing, we've heard some rumors that that is like really, really huge mm-hmm. and that could be game over because a lot of their business model is 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 based on self-driving cars because self-driving cars don't have employees. Well, they have got that at the moment. Well, Uber doesn't have
1: employees exactly. either. Exactly, <laughs> and that's number two. That's yeah. the other
3: thing, thing that's going to bring Uber down is as, uh, you know, regulations change and we're starting to see them in this country mm-hmm. that Uber drivers are employees and that changes a hell of a lot. So... They're currently burning through a lot of VC cash, but I think that's what's ultimately going to kill them.
0: Well, they're only two floors down in this building, so let's go and knock on the door and ask in a couple of hours. So uh we'll uh, we'll report back next week.
1: <laughs> or Move- not, depending on how yeah. it goes.
0: <laughs> a- absence of a story next week, you know what happened. Um so moving on, we have and I have to say the register just write amazing titles. No, so this is Tata security, which I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure the American listeners would really be able to kind of get that as a, as a particular No, saying. no,
2: they, they get with that. Really?
0: Okay. Yeah. But almost like a sort of a Hannibal Lecter style Tata, right? Is that where we're going? Um, so this is bungling Tata devs leak bank code on public GitHub repos. What the hell happened here, Aiden? So
3: I love an open banking story. Mm. Uh, this is not open banking per se and how you would normally do it, but uh, basically, yeah, uh, uh security researcher, found an open GitHub repo from Tatar on the web, and they'd been working on a project that was across six Canadian banks. Found this repo. Uh, a repo is a repository on uh, GitHub. It's where you basically store a load of programming code and documents, So there was all kinds of things there basically detailing the project that they'd been doing, which was across six banks, which is basically all the banks in Canada. He then told the Canadian banks, I found this. And they did nothing. They were like, yeah. He then went and told some US banks that it was there, because I think the project was to do with uh, something cross-border, and they were a little more uh, worried about it. So, yeah, it's it's uh, a great screw-up by a certain consultancy to put things public. I do have one take on this, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this anyway, and just that, you know bank code in itself is, you know, we talk about legacy and etc. And I, I, I'd like to see more of it open and on GitHub and being d- uh, looked at by people because it might get better. But I'm not sure what this this was that kind of strategy.
1: But there there are also, I mean, this is this is my, my comment. I've written some notes and it just says, oof. Um,
2: <laughs> That'll do. some, I mean, some mean, in-depth analysis yeah, right on this for show.
1: I, I, for a paid analysis, um, <laughs> see, see, see the blog. Um, no, I, I mean, it, there's a couple of things here. British banks have been told this too, by the way. This is not like this is this is a major screw up on the point of the consultancy, and you know they they're going to struggle there. But from a bank's perspective, there's two things here. One, British banks have been told repeatedly that their mobile apps can be hacked by people who who are kind of on side, and they've ignored them. And the other thing is that mobile banks, banking apps can be hacked. <laughs> like, that, that's kind of like, okay, you're just telling us it's a huge security flaw. And it's not just because of this, as far as I understand it, like the, the code exposed flaws that were already there that could be used. And my, my point on this is that banks just can't be lax about their apps. They can't just assume because everybody, all consumers know about pins and, you know, fingerprint access, it's okay. It, it's still a problem. It's not just Canada. And it's, it's you know, British banks as well. And They need to get their act together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it feels like... So Tata are probably in shit here i'll be honest with you from a contractual perspective yeah. having exposed all of these things but um there's probably a lot worse things to be sort of doing than than this one so uh be interesting to see what type of fine it'd be, they it, get right? it would be interesting to see if anybody can actually work it out what are these systems actually do
1: really <laughs> like a... I, would, I would pay for that <laughs> tell me how these, these systems fit together and what you're trying to do yeah, can them.
0: you tell us how to decommission these systems <laughs> yeah. that we've actually just spent millions building Indeed. Uh moving on, we have on F N London, which is a new one to me, a email hoaxer catches out top brass at City and Goldman. So this is somebody up to the same old tricks, hey Sarah.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is just the latest victims of this guy. Um, so he's a guy, he's a British guy based in Manchester, UK, who's basically been creating fake email addresses, um, not particularly sophisticated ones, um, and contacting prominent people in financial services, uh, pretending to be somebody they know, nine times out of 10, their boss, um, and asking them questions that could prove awkward should they answer them in an honest and accurate manner.
2: It's kind of like, kind of like the chic. The tabloids, music. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the list of the list, of, right? So I have, I have thoughts about this. The list of names is spectacular. So the, the three this week were Citigroup CEO Michael Corbett, the consumer banking chief Steven, uh, Stephen Bird, and Goldman Sachs chief CEO Lloyd Bank Fien. Blank Fine, Blank Fiend. They're the latest in a long line of pretty important people who've been hit by this. So that the list also includes the Bank of England governor, Mark, Mark Carney, and Barclays CEO, Jez Staley. So this is like a long, prominent list. My theory on this is that they're looking at their email on their phone, they get hundreds of them, they're like, oh, God, that's an important one, must respond. But the time they get the second one back, I think they're playing along. If you look at Mark Carney's answers, I think he's like, I I, know what's going on. Do you think
2: Lloyd Blankfeld looks at his own email? Well, that's my other
1: point. Do you think he just go through a PA, several PAs? (laughs) Is it that? Or is it that they see, oh my God, this is my boss, so I must answer it? But I mean, Everybody uses email.
0: Like, you know, literally, I I reckon, you know, all CEOs, all bank CEOs do their own email these days. They have some people kind of prioritizing and filtering stuff, but but definitely they respond to their own thing. I, I don't know if you kind of read through the, the track of this one, but it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so at, at the point where, so they were initially reasonably suspicious of, of kind of what was, was sort of happening here, saying, you know, you can never be too careful, Mike. Hope this really is our chairman, lols. Um, and then actually it starts getting down to, oh yes, I had noticed that system when they started talking about the precautions that, that they're putting in place. It's the North Koreans and Russians that you really need to watch for in this day and age. This is hilarious. For me, it's like a sort of a behind the scenes that actually these guys have a personality. And this that's is what's, funny. And so that's, yeah.
3: it's what's interesting is that you, you, you just don't get to see these people speak as human beings. It's like politicians. You just don't get to see them speak in real life. So A, you you might be trying to catch them out and yeah. say something horrific, but
0: it's also just interesting when they're saying something kind of banal. So they so they so. are
3: human beings. Uh, not let,
0: let, me, let me just finish the sentence here. He, he claims hackers, but in this instance, I'd say it was the large scotch he had before leaving the golf club, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it wonderful that times have moved on? Stephen Bird replies to this one: "Ha ha! I'd blame Putin." Which I feel, <laughs> I feel, he wins that Which whole is also battle. So l-
1: less controversial. And yeah. um, to link back to our earlier comment about culture, the one who I, I I was really I really liked was um was Mark Carney when they got into this debate and the hacker was trying to get him to talk about to paraphrase in polite language um ladies in bars and you know types of ladies in bars. And uh, Mark Carney replied, "Not appropriate. Shut it down." And I was like, "I like him now." So talking about you know getting a bit of their character, I was like, "Dreamy
0: Mark Carney, stay dreamy." Yeah, he's a gentleman. (laughs) What could you say? At that point, the the hacker shouldn't have outed it, and it was just like Mark Carney would have walked around thinking that guy's like a sexist bastard. Do you know what I mean? It's like how to turn the person against the whole (laughs) organisation. You know, so. Anyway, that wasn't the funny one to end on, well, we've had a real, despite we've had a, the fact that... A, a real series of fa- fail stories yeah, to lead to this joyous end. Indeed. I, you know, I feel I'm bringing you down by being back, if nothing else. But uh, the last story we have is on The Verge, and I always do love what reading The Verge. This is, a cryptocurrency for weed is sending Dennis Rodman back to North Korea. Putcoin. Brilliant.
3: <laughs> the, Pot- just... And that's the end of yeah. the yeah. else. <laughs>
0: just... The best title of any article ever. Can you, can you ever.
3: explain who Dennis Rodman is to our regular banking listeners who may not be basketball fans?
0: So, Dennis Rodman was a amazing uh, power forward in the 90s. Dated
2: Madonna.
0: He did, yeah. Very, very famously dated Madonna. So, he used to play for the Detroit Pistons at his height, but then joined the Chicago Bulls and played amazingly. He was like that whole renaissance of when Michael Jordan came back to the David's a basketball fan. So- <laughs> Aiden and I are sitting here going,
1: looking at David and going, uh-huh. Amazing How basketball player,
0: mostly famous for wearing lots of dresses and dating Madonna. I'll be honest with you, but um, but yeah, this has a yeah. Uh, pr- pretty much yeah. yeah. Um, she had the trousers, he had the dresses. But this is a, a really interesting story that Potcoin is basically sending him back to North Korea to hang out with his uh, best matey over there, the uh, Kim Jong Un, which is quite bizarre. So there was lots of sort of undertones of this one that he's off there to do some sort of amazing kind of you know big move here and they were sort of drawing lots of laterals here about his appreciation and endorsement for obviously the right honorable president trump
2: don't say his name sorry <laughs> Voldemort.
0: <laughs> um, but actually it sort of feels like this is kind of one of those ones that i'm just fascinated by this whole thing c- the c- fact that they would send him somewhere that we
2: now live in an age where anything is nothing matters anymore oh. i think that someone in the white house He's a spy. This is what's gonna happen. This is real. This is this is something that that they have put him on a plane with a microchip in a piercing. Oh, they wouldn't even know. <laughs> exactly. Trust me. Anything is possible.
0: I, I just feel like this is like the interview two. You know the movie yes. with Seth. Yes. So yes. it just sort of feels like that has to be the conclusion to this whole thing. Is like the the follow up to that movie is a documentary with Dennis Rodman, and like this is like the auditions for it. But um, I'm intrigued if it's like a new strategy for initial
3: coin offerings. You know, we 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 raise them to say, can we send some sort of '90s celebrity to solve world peace? You've got Steven Seagal, who's best mates with Putin. You've got Dennis Rodman, who's best mates with Kim Jong Il. I'm not sure. Who else we can send to solve world problems? Is any it, other problem leaders we need to send random people?
0: Is it like a problem that most of these sort of places where they've got these dictators have only looked, watched 90s television? <laughs> Maybe. And yeah. that actually, so, you know, like in 10 years from now, we're going to be spending like the, you know, Joey Essex out there or something <laughs> like that. You know, like, is, it's kind of like they slowly catch up with the can trends. Can you explain that one to US <laughs> listeners, in any way, I don't feel I should. I don't want to sort of bring well, you I'm, down I'm on thinking that more Chuck Norris coin. He's like, he's like the situation indeed yeah. exactly See, I
2: can do I'm here for, I'm here to translate
0: indeed and we appreciate it mm-hmm. but anyway that brings us to the end of the news for this week you can catch all of the links to the news stories that we've talked through in this week's show notes but before we wrap up big shout out goes out to Danny Matthews for a really awesome promo that you did on Twitter and Instagram for FinTech Insider super duper appreciate that tremendous work. So that's all we have for you this week. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It's how we know you like what we're doing. That's it
2: for now. Thanks.